Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delpena, and on today's show, we have the first ever non-American guest in the history of the podcast, the current head coach of Papua New Guinea, which USA will be taking on in two ODIs coming up this week in Oman. He's also a longtime nemesis of USA on the opposite side of the field when he played for Italy against USA in World Cricket League and ICC T20 World Cup qualifier tournaments. Carl Sandry. For people who have been following every episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, you may have noticed all the guests so far in the history of the show have been American-born. I wanted to make an extra emphasis and an extra effort to include as many people as I possibly could on the podcast who are part of the American cricket community through what I would consider the non-traditional route of American cricket. The overwhelming majority of people who make up the American cricket community are born and raised overseas, and they are part of what makes America great. They contribute so much to America. They contribute so much to American cricket by bringing in their experiences, having developed their cricket in India, in Pakistan, in Guyana, in Jamaica, Sri Lanka, and now more recently South Africa. You see a lot of people coming into the USA and contributing so much to American cricket. But at the same time, they represent the overwhelming majority of cricketers in the country, and it tends to often overshadow players, regardless of their ethnic heritage, who are born and brought up in the USA. So for me, having gone through the experience myself, as somebody who was born and raised in America, who struggled at times to get opportunities or showcase my experiences and what I could do, I have a great amount of empathy for the likes of Ryan Prasad, a recent guest, born and raised in New York and New Jersey, who has made it to the CPL. Guys like Rahman Dar, USA Under-19 squad member, and like Agitika Kadali, born in California, but now continuing her development in North Carolina and representing the USA Women's Squad as well. Former USA Cricket Association CEO Don Lockerbie, former Indianapolis Mayor Greg Ballard, former Morrisville, North Carolina Mayor Mark Stolman. The list goes on. I tried to make as best of an effort as I possibly could from the start of the podcast to highlight those stories, to highlight those characters, and to show that there are people born and raised in America who have a voice, who can contribute, who are not only shining in the present, but offer a window to the future of what American cricket could be. But at some point, I also wanted to hear the stories and hear the voices and hear the tales of people on the opposite side of the field. Those players and coaches and characters in world cricket who came up against USA and get them to share their perspective of American cricket, what it's like to take on USA, whether as a player or as a coach. And we have somebody who fits both roles today, Carl Sandry, who had an excellent career playing for Italy, originally from Australia. He qualified as a dual passport holder to represent Italy and featured in some very memorable contests against USA throughout the decade of the 2010s. And now, after retiring from international cricket, he has come on board to be the head coach of Papua New Guinea as they set out on their journey over the next month and a half to make their first appearance in a major ICC global event. But before they participate in that maiden T20 World Cup in Oman and the UAE, they're going to be playing four ODIs against USA and Nepal, as well as a Cricket World Cup League 2 tri-series involving Scotland and Oman in September and October. And the two ODIs against USA coming up on September 6th and 9th. What better time to get our first non-American guest on the show than Carl Sandry. So you'll hear from Carl, who will share some fantastic anecdotes. But before we get to the interview with Carl, I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket were welcomed by one of the great characters of Italian cricket and associate cricket in general, who is now the head coach of Papua New Guinea, Carl Sandry. Carl, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Peter. Looking forward to it. Always a pleasure to uh, chat to you about all things cricket. So for people who are not aware about your background, you're from Melbourne originally. Uh, you, you played quite extensively in the 
Melbourne grade cricket setup for a number of different clubs. And you were also part of the Australian Academy Institute of Sport squad through the Australian development system. So how did you get into cricket, especially as somebody of Italian heritage growing up in Australia? Yeah, as you would understand, uh, Peter, us with Italian heritage and not a lot of us credited to playing cricket, but um, somehow uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough for my my dad, my father to find his way to uh, Melbourne and Australia and uh, relocate there for, for life. And uh, yeah, that led to me playing cricket, I guess. Uh, he originally uh, somehow took hold of the game and started playing it. And that's where I guess my, my passion for cricket came from. Uh, and in my father's side, there were all the Italians in our family. So uh, that's where it started. And obviously growing up in Melbourne, he was a cricket coach himself. Um, Again, how he got into cricket, I couldn't answer that. So there would have had to have been a funny, he might probably drove past the ground one day and got into it. But yeah, that passion uh, then followed on to me. And I guess, yeah, just played a lot through the systems. Obviously, they've got various uh, systems and pathways in Melbourne and Australia. So I was part of those pretty much my whole junior career. And yeah, just I guess it was the sport I wanted to play. I wanted to play, grew up obviously wanting to play for Australia. And I was going into the Australian Academy eventually. I uh, was, you know, taking steps towards that goal. But uh, as we all know, playing, I guess, for a full member and especially Australia, it's not that easy. So, you know, on the way, things happen. And uh, eventually, I guess, because I'd done well to a point, my name with the uh, surname ending in a vowel, obviously, uh, got... <laughs> Gained some interest to some people, Peter. The right people. Another man ending with a vowel. Simone Gambino, one of the most important people ending with a vowel. That is correct. And he must have come across my name somewhere. So that was uh, an important person to read the name on, on a piece of paper when they when they saw, oh, this person's not going to make it in Australia and he's got a his surname ends in I. They pick up the phone and, and try their luck. So you talked about your dad coming from Italy. Where are you? It's I'm from Avellino. My my family heritage. My great grandfather came from Avellino to New Jersey in the late 1880s. Where is your family from in Italy? North Trentino, in the Trento region. So, yeah, unfortunately, I've got to go back there a couple of times with cricket, and my father now travels extensively back there. But growing up, I don't know if it was the same. Uh, with yourself but growing up I probably didn't really take hold of the Italian roots like being in Australia sort of playing cricket I probably took more to the the English Australian side of me and and the Italian growing up you're probably you know, going to school it wasn't the it thing to be saying oh I'm Italian of heritage and you know my father's family and my father have come from Italy and it's strange that you know once you get to your 20s all of a sudden being Italian had a bit of a uh, flair to it and you know I <laughs> took that on and obviously it led to other benefits so I guess that's that's how it can happen when you when you've sort of been from that uh, migrant background or or heritage but yeah so early on I probably didn't even know how to spell Italy early doors but um, you know you get to it and you realize um, you start digging into your family history and start honoring that a bit more and yeah fortunately for me I guess it's opened up a lot of doors, really. I find this fascinating to hear you talk about this because growing up in New Jersey, the whole American culture in general, but especially New Jersey, you're never referred to as American until you leave America. The whole time growing up, I was Italian. Nobody ever referred to me as yeah. American or, or New Jersey. And it's, oh, what are you? I'm Italian. Uh, and yeah. not, not to dig into too many stereotypes but yeah people just assumed my family must have been in waste management they were part they were all related to <laughs> tony soprano and hey, i can't tell you how many creating. kids yeah well my fa- my dad owned a construction company uh so growing up i had all these kids who were asking me like hey is your dad in the mafia and uh you know <laughs> you know at your dad's construction sites you know do you know where Jimmy Hoff is buried? You know, do you, does your dad <laughs> take care of any any bodies for uh, the Gotti family or anything like that? And I always had to tell him, well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. That was, that was the response. <laughs> and then you told him you played cricket too, and they really looked at you like you had four heads. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I just find that interesting in terms of the contrast of the different immigrant experiences or second, third generation experiences between America and Australia in particular. Yeah. As somebody who, who grew up in Melbourne too, I, I also want to ask about this. There is quite a strong Italian 
heritage that I observed when I went to Melbourne, especially in the Carlton area lying on the street, you said you didn't really necessarily identify so much with your Italian culture until you got into your twenties and then Simone Gambino was trying to recruit you. But in that, in that part of Melbourne, how close were you to kind of Carlton and that kind of identity as part of your youth? Yeah. Yeah. Very close to Carlton in proximity. Um, and I guess that was the whole treat back in the day was, and again, as you said, not to dig too much in the stereotypes, but getting pizza in Ligon Street was, you know, the, the treat from the old man. When There's you, nothing wrong you know, with that. Right. That is the place to go. That is where you go, Carl. <laughs> Correct, you do. Um, so, yeah, I guess it was more that my father's dad kept traveling, kept living in Italy for most of the year. So I wouldn't really see that part of the family. So it didn't give us the chance to really dig into that Italian side of things. And it was probably... Even my father, with you know, being um, immersed in cricket himself and as a coach and player, um, being you know a relatively successful coach and player himself, was probably you know, really led us to be on the Australian side of uh, things as far as that goes. But yeah, I guess things change and circumstances change as they did for in our family, and then it just meant that we started to uh, embrace my sisters and I, and and my father just started to embrace our Italian heritage a bit more and you know dad sort of got the ball rolling on passports for all the family and and as you say once we had the passport we started thinking oh this is pretty cool um we better read a bit more into our family start um learning a few more words than ciao and grazie and um yeah we have on the pathway to to trying to like represent Australia initially you mentioned that you spent some time in the Australian Institute of Sport just curious that it's got quite a, a reputation over the years for producing a lot of players and a lot of good cricketers in general, whether or not they actually make it to Australia. What do you remember about those experiences and the opportunities you got there and, and how it impacted your development? Yeah. Amazing opportunities. You know, you still look back and, you know, you grow apart from some of the people, not because uh, you fall apart or you fall out, but obviously life goes in its different directions, but amazing opportunities that uh, we're blessed with as far as the cricket development and opportunity side of things experiences go here and spending a year living in Brisbane with, you know, at that time were 20 of the best cricketers come far myself, obviously. So 19 of the best um, cricketers probably coming through Australia at that time from all over, you know, the country, you know, it's an amazing experience in the back of a couple of good seasons for myself. And you, and you always have the dream to be doing that as a kid and then to be, put into that uh, environment um, and be with some players like, you know, Mitch Johnson was part of my academy uh, intake, if you will. And as you've seen and everyone's seen around the world, I mean, you know, an amazing to be facing the nets back then. Yeah, it was pretty quick and it's um, obviously some scary moments of training, uh, but you learn so much to learn from the coaching uh, that you get there and you just learn the whole process of what it's like to be an athlete in that environment. So for me, and obviously that then helped, I carried that with me as I went and later on into journeys with Italy and so forth. You've always got that as a, as a grounding and a backup to help you as you move forward. You made it as high as the second 11 for Victoria in terms of a state domestic cricket. And then you also, I know you spent some time playing Lancashire in, uh, for Radcliffe over in Glee Cricket in England. You also played for Worcestershire second 11. You had all these kind of experiences where you were knocking on the door but couldn't quite break through at what point did the possibility of exploring the Italy opportunity start to come on your radar was it again them approaching you first or did you reach out to them did you have this kind of in the back of your mind that it was potentially an opportunity with uh, dual citizenship heritage or what was it a mutual thing you missed my big bash career in there as well you've named you've only named everything bar my big bash experience well, well i knew we'll we, we, i knew we'd get to that carl because i know you have it stored <laughs> on your phone and it's on a loop whenever you you have uh time it is, it you're, is. you're never short of it pulling is. it out to play it in front of somebody you're your big six correct. off Got of brent me. lee yeah first ball there's only four people who have done that in big bash history first ball six but anyway we will we'll cover over that now you're right i think partly i spent some time you know at Radcliffe as you said and trialing with the county due to the the passport and probably didn't love the whole English cricket uh scene as the the village type like I enjoyed it with some mates but probably being away from home and just playing going to the pub every I was about to say every weekend every night of the week actually um probably just just didn't float my boat as much and having already dabbled and and 
visited Italy because of knowing that there was a possibility there and having met with Simone and, and my close friend, Peter Petricola already done it. I sort of thought, you know what, I could go to Rome and live in Rome and enjoy life there and, and still play cricket and then take my cricket back home seriously as well. Still, obviously you're, you're keeping the dream alive, Peter, whether you, whether you know it or not, you're always grinding, thinking that somehow you'll make it. But yeah, so I guess I went to Rome and fell in love with Italy in the flesh, if you will. And from there, I just thought, you know, I'd rather still go as hard as I can back home. But if the opportunity to play for Italy came up, yeah, it was just too good a too good a lifestyle. I enjoyed some of the people there. And yeah, I just thought that would be the way I'd go. The opportunity came up eventually. And Mr. Gamboni uh, extended the invitation to officially join on. And yeah, the rest is history from there, I guess. So probably just a few dark, cold weather days in in uh, your part of the world now probably just led me to think, geez, I can't do this for six months every year. So I'll venture over to the Mediterranean and so forth. And yeah, they still play cricket there. So that was a pretty good move in the end, really. You made your debut for Italy in the 2012 T20 World Cup qualifier. It was in the UAE. And yeah, I saw four of my victims here today, actually. They still remember it. You made your debut, yes, against Oman. So absolutely. Yeah. Why shouldn't they remember it? A very, like you said, memorable debut. Four for nine in four overs, opening with the new ball, new ball spin. You and Gareth Berg in the squad, as well as, like you said, Peter Petricola, Pepsi, a legend of the associate scene. Yes. And uh, among your victims, the current captain, Zishan Siddiqui. That's one of three times too, by the way. That was just the first of three times. He also fell victim at uh, uh, Van Noyce as well. Van Noyce? Van News? Van Nuys. Van Nuys, yeah. Van Nuys. And I'll go into the fact that he's a very good player, may I add. But a left-hander, so a bit of a soft target. So you're, you're from the, the Glenn McGraw school. And you remember every single one of your victims. Nah, nah, nah. Just the, nah, just the fun games, the fun days. Probably remember more of getting hit for six, but... Anyway, so man of the match on debut, just the whole experience of, I guess, the expectation coming in as somebody who's been actively recruited by Simone. Sometimes the expectations are a bit excessive for a player in your shoes, but to come in man of the match four for nine on debut. And then in the context of of what we're talking about today, arguably more importantly, following it up a day later with another man of the match performance against the USA in an eight run win. You came in in a perilous situation at 70 for five in the 12th over and you smashed 49 out, out of 28 balls, four sixes at Sheikh Zayed stadium in Abu Dhabi. And then you put the clamps on USA in the chase with another two wickets to hold them off by eight runs. So getting, getting the career off with two quality performances especially against USA the nemesis over the years back-to-back man of the match performances what was that whole experience like for you like it was truly you know and you say this and you don't really ever say this out loud too much but it was it was amazing to be all of a sudden you're thrust into like I knew what the experience was like at, at the highest level but never really had the taste of being presented an ICC uh, man of the match. Steve Bernard presented my first one, a, a fellow Australian and obviously long-standing uh, match referee now. But just to go through the processes and, and the protocols, I guess that once you're thrust into, you know, the ICC rules and regulations as uh, as we know of them, and they're quite strict and so forth as as we as we know as players. Yeah, it was just the whole experience around that was pretty cool. I won't lie. It was something, you know, I won't forget. Still got the trophy trophy at home. Uh, and just a great day. You play against some, again, you probably open your eyes to more cultures, though, Peter, playing it. As I said, you grow up being a full member and you know they're South Africans and Indians and Pakistanis and, and so forth. But then when you start seeing the Omanis, who, again, then I probably wouldn't even know they played cricket, but uh, that's just what how it is when you grow up in Melbourne or what have you. But it just really opened my eyes to everything else. And, and since then I've embraced and, and really enjoyed meeting new people from wherever they play or playing against countries and, and really respecting, you know, the journeys a lot of these people are on in coming from associate member countries or, or where they've started their cricket and ended up as we, as we know, a lot of us may start somewhere, but end up somewhere else. So yeah, looking back, it was just amazing. but being out there on the ground, ICC, uh, I think it was the, um, what do you call it? 
number one academy ground, amazing facilities. Uh, but yeah, then to go the next day to play at Shakes Aid Stadium, which is just a you know a phenomenal cricket stadium. And you're right, that yeah, two in two days was at the start. You know, Simone was all over me then. It was you know couldn't do anything wrong. What a recruit for Simone. I was you know appearing on the front page of the La Sporta della Gazzetta, whatever it is, and gave me the pink jersey. You know, I was, I was all over it. But that did start a long-standing uh, rivalry the second day, uh, no doubt, with the Stars and Stripes. So, great game again that day. And as I said, it was the first of many battles against the States. And especially, I think we played them three times in Abu Dhabi. Um, one of my other famous ones I will get to, because one of our other big days was out on number two oval out the back there. But, yeah, that day was, yeah, very special both days. Associate cricket in general, you, you kind of hinted at it a little bit there, but... Coming from Australia, where I haven't, haven't been there myself when I did my semester there, there's very little spoken about cricket outside of Australia and especially in the associate cricket scene. So haven't been immersed in, in Melbourne cricket and Australian cricket for much of your life up to that point. What was your concept of associate cricket prior to that first T20 World Cup qualifier? And how did your impressions of associate cricket or your level of respect for associate cricket and the cricketers who were involved in that scene change over the course of your career? You know, we obviously learn as we go in life. So the fact that I didn't know much about it or have much of an idea of it before then isn't necessarily a bad reflection on me, but I'm, I'm better for the experience. And I hope a lot of people close to me and, and my experiences have helped people realize that, you know, there is a lot more cricket played out there and, and the quality, you know, you get a lot of people, Peter would say, oh, you come back, what quality is it? Is it just Mickey Mouse? You're obviously Italian, you make pizza, play cricket as well. Like, it can't be that good. Then people start seeing the grounds you're playing on and go, what is this? You know, like, how come you get to play on those grounds? And and there's other great cricketers in Australia, in Melbourne, that, you know, make a lot more runs or whatever. They don't get to play professional cricket or, or get to travel the world to play cricket on these amazing grounds and stadiums and and places. So, you know, for me, it's I've come up against a lot of a lot of good players that, yeah, may potentially not ever make it in full member countries, or but that's not the point. The the point is you get to see a lot of these players express themselves and play a certain brand of cricket that you wouldn't see in Melbourne week to week at grade cricket. And whenever people ask me, it's just like I don't compare levels of cricket. It's it's the X factor or the or the way people express themselves that that differs the cricket than just a certain standard of cricket and watching people do what they do. And I'll, I'll get to a few American players uh, moving forward that, you know, I've never seen even the best players that I've come up against in for years in premier cricket, great cricket in Australia. They can't do what Tim Roy Allen can do in, in a couple of overs and, and that sort of thing. So that's the difference to me. And these people, um, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't be exposed to that, and and I feel like I'm more enriched for that experience of of meeting players and setting me up for a, you know a coaching career as well down the track. The players that you came up against, Tim Roy Allen had an epic match against Italy. He was a man of the match performance actually in, in World Cricket League Division Three in Bermuda in 2013. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You remember that? <laughs> he hit five, five sixes straight down the ground. Uh, yeah, you also always at mid on watching go over my head, <laughs> thudding into the side screen or thudding into whatever was the back, yeah. background there. Uh, and then on the flip side, another hard fought match in the 2013 T20 World Cup qualifier, which was essentially five or six months later, again in the UAE, where once again you contributed in, in a significant way to victory. That Stephen Taylor scored 91 for USA in the first innings and then Gareth Berg with 90 at the start of the chase for Italy, but then you capped it off 27 not out off 16 balls with two sixes in another dramatic victory chasing down a target of 161 with four balls to spare. So there were a number of close kind of seesaw contests that you were involved in with and others that you were also not involved with on, on the bookend before and after your career with Italy. What do you remember most about those encounters with USA. That day in Abu Dhabi, the first time probably started the long rivalry, even though that game went without too much fuss. The first one when I was man of the match, that just happened. And I was too excited, worried about whatever would happen in that game. But then 
as I'll probably reference a lot, but my good friend Peter Petrikola's like, no, nah, we don't like these American players. We've got to we've got to make sure we beat them every time. We give them nothing. You know, he played before me, so he's even longer in in the uh, rivalry. So from then I was like, yeah, well, if Peps doesn't like them and wants to beat them every time, well, I'm beating them every time, and I'm gonna make sure I give Steve Taylor my two cents worth as well. And it was always um, healthy rivalry because um, we love them off the field. I, you know, I've spent numerous nights with Steve Taylor. Not that he, he says a great deal, but I've sat with him and been in his presence for um, a lot of evenings at least. But I think it was no one back down. And like you said, I think the tail of the tape shows that we've had our good days and bad, bad days against each other. Like that day in, in Bermuda, it was a pool behind me. I was long on. And it wasn't even, it was one of those days where every time you hit, it wasn't even a catch cry. It was just, oh, that's, you know, I'll just walk back and pick that up again and throw it back. And we took our licks that day, as they say. And and then uh, we come back again, whatever it was, you sort of said, six months later. And I hit the winning runs that day off, uh, might have been some bowling his off spin. I remember hitting a four because uh, they also had the test. I hit a six off the test spot. Who was the test left arm off spinner that? Neil McGarrell. So they had two former test players on the team that day. Neil McGarrell, uh, former West Indies spinner, and then Adam Sanford, who also uh, was a uh, yes. medium pacer for the West Indies. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I'll still never forget. And I've got this this picture pride and place at home because Steve Taylor's in the photo just as he sort of does his laconic cool self. I'm there celebrating the winning runs, you know, in my t- and he's just there like, you know, cool. That's whatever, you know, he's not, he's not too disheveled by it or too concerned. It's you got us this day. We'll get you back again. So, yeah, the players um, that we came up against in those battles, and again, from the American side, many different cultures probably end up in the one team as well from different backgrounds. I really had started a, probably a rivalry as such. The the left-handed opening batter from India, or not, not really batter, opening batter, but left-handed batter from India. I had some contests with him that heated up a little. And the right-hander that was good, the small right-hander, I think he dominated for a while there in the World Cricket League, made a lot of runs for USA. But, you know, a lot of these players, you just that, as you're in the field and they're peeling off another 100 or you're having a battle with the ball and bat, you just respect that not everyone has to come through the shiny sort of programs and pathways or um, systems that we do. And we're fortunate, as I said, I'm sure they have their benefits. But, yeah, to, to take on, I've been put in my place you know, a few times early doors by players that will just continually hit you for six and not worry about technique or how you're supposed to play by the book. It would just be six, six, another six, and you learn, you learn your lessons. Just because you're from Melbourne and, and played grade cricket or whatever doesn't give you, these players don't care. They don't know, they don't care where you're from or, or what junior pathway you went through, Peter. So, no, nah, the respect for all those cricketers is, you know, hard fought on the day but we've all been through our travels and journeys, so it's always been enjoyable. Today's episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. Located at 5515 McKeever Road in Pearland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288 and a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. Now, before I get to the Big Bash, which was you made your debut basically about a month after that 2013 T20 qualifier. One more USA match I want to ask you about, which you did not play in. You were sitting on the bench that day in Los Angeles. Very, very famous incident. USA won by one wicket, chasing. But more memorable than the ending was actually earlier in the Italy innings when player was run out celebrating his half century italy want to be relegated at the end of that tournament it may have cost you a chance to stay in division four and also may have contributed to usa getting promoted very very consequential these are the the sliding doors moments of associate cricket where one moment can have drastic consequences for multiple teams italy going back down usa being able to move up what do you remember about that day and that whole sequence and the fact that you were not able to have an impact on that game when you had been such a pivotal figure for italy throughout the years against usa yeah, it was one of the first games, if not the first game that I'd ever not played for Italy on a tour, bar a, a practice game or so forth. And I, I got injured, got 60-odd the day before against Denmark off about 30 balls, Peter, and, and got injured from swinging violently at, at everyone. Aftab Ahmed trying to hit him for six every ball. So, 
injured and we kind of looked at it and thought as as again as you know it's a heavy workload you're playing back to back and then rest and back to back so we thought as you sometimes have to plan okay america are going well do we sit it out um, against them give yourself a day's rest which would have been two days rest after the rest day and then back into it looking back and again being america i probably regret not taking the field because there's always something exciting that's happening in those contests but without my good mate Peter there to, to res, res me on and get me playing that tournament it's probably like oh well, Peter's not here so if I'm injured I can I can sit this one out watch the boys go at it and then yeah that calamitous run out occurred um, after the, the young fellow I think I can't remember where it was um, Mr. Singh that actually I can't remember who made the 50 and who got run out it was, it was, Man, it was Manpreet Singh they both made 50s Manpreet Singh made 50 but yeah. the, the guy who was run out was uh, Supan Taranga yeah, yeah. And, you know, both, I think, in their first tournaments, again, superb players that have come from the back blocks of Italy, pretty pumped. And, again, I guess, like you said, they're sliding doors moments. As much as that run out shouldn't happen, I guess it's why you love cricket without these sort of uh, incidences and, and so forth. What would it be, you know? So, uh, you know, that gave you a chance to get hot on the keyboard to tweet out this, oh, these stupid Italians are getting run out. And, you know, so... Without that, you people wouldn't have you wouldn't have got a few extra followers. So we've probably um, contributed to to some popularity for you that day. But you then, as you're circling the ground and we're getting so close, I'm thinking as a player and Joe Spear, the coach, and you're thinking, what have we done by not not saying I would have changed the game? But when it gets that close, you think, geez, an extra bowler or a batter out there would a fielder even could change the game. But that went down. I'm pretty sure we shouldn't have got anywhere near it but there must have been some late drama or they just went a bit slower than normal what was those those two guys were batting first batting first and it was 118 run partnership but it was the opening partnership usa could not get them out and then this gift was presented on a golden platter for usa to get the run out and and italy went from 118 for none to 185 for five and 41 overs. It was a, a rain reduced match. A rain affected, yeah. Weather reduced yeah. match. And then USA chased it down, one wicket to spare. That was huge, huge yeah. in, in the context. That was big in the context. But no, yeah, that was the one that got away that day. But we move on. We should have beaten Jersey. So it doesn't matter. Rolling back a little bit to the Big Bash, you made your debut in december 2013 as you said hitting brett lee first ball for six where does that rank on the list of career achievements yeah and now chris wopes the non-strikers in that day um you were friendly friends with still uh yeah amazing just it's what far everything i know i haven't turned out to be a a 10-year professional cricketer but you've still got that moment that you know you dream of as a kid type thing and to brett lee growing up for people like me or my my vintage Brett Lee was the scariest, fastest bowler we'd seen almost in our generation, I guess, in Australia. So to get one over the side screen off him was, yeah, at the time you're just thinking that didn't really happen, surely not, couldn't have. But, you know, obviously there's things you have to look back on and remember and be pretty and be proud of. And to hit, hit him for six and get Steve Smith out in the same game, you sort of, yeah, you have to scratch yourself a little bit different. Maybe you start thinking, well, why did I miss something along the way? Should I have played? Shouldn't I have played a little bit more at that level, Peter? You know, but no, anyway, it is what it is. And I enjoyed that night. It was an amazing night, amazing group of people. I met a lot more friends out of that experience with the Sydney Thunder over that season. And yeah, I mean, it goes down as a highlight for sure. I've seen that six on a loop. That Steve Smith wicket is almost a footnote in this story. I'm looking at the scorecard now. Caught and bowled. Take us through that. How did you set him up? What was the trap? Yeah, the, the long ball. I bowled it from a fair way back from the crease. And I remember I saw Smithy that night and he sort of he got me with the long ball. I said, oh, well, you know, no big deal. It's part of the plan. You know, you just got sucked in. I think he got, I reckon he got a double hundred against the, the English Graham Swan couldn't get him out for two days a couple of weeks before. It took me one ball. Can't be that easy, can it? He's allowed an off night, I guess. He's allowed an off night, so that's all good. Can frame that whole scorecard, put it on the Sandry family wall. <laughs> Definitely. If there's one thing you had to pick out that was your favorite experience over the course of your international career, Big Bash career, uh, Australian Institute career, and also one thing you regret that you weren't able to accomplish 
in Italy colors or with Big Bash or anything else, what would those be? A cricket experience in itself when the people you meet are, look, you're hitting Brett Lee for six is great, but then so is taking your first wicket for Italy and hitting your first six or hitting the winning runs against America. For me, it's, it's playing the game and, and being allowed to play the game being fortunate enough, sorry, to play the game in, in different teams and grounds, it all does bundle into one experience for me. Honestly, I know that might sound a bit cliche, but for me, just those experiences of being able to pack your bags again to go away on another trip to Bermuda or to Dubai or to Jersey. No, we don't actually never like going to Jersey, so I don't know why I'd say that. That was that's that's a an error of a comment. So uh yeah, but all those experiences roll into one for me and, and they're amazing, each and every one of them. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, for me, I couldn't separate those. The regrets or not regrets, I think you mentioned there, but I mean, there's always, once we started playing for Italy, the passion just grew every day with the players and time you spent with them and knowing the background that a lot of them came from. And we really, you know, the Fratelli d'Italia, we really took on that persona of where, you know when we get on tour we're brothers we'll bleed blue all that kind of business and I think we all I speak to Damien Crowley a lot Peter obviously all the time Gareth Berg we all probably wish that we went a little bit further a bit higher up the chain I guess but like you say it's associate cricket world it's it's not easy it's you know for people that think or want to judge the level of cricket or, or however they want to look at it we know on the coal face that every ball, uh, every game matters, every ball matters, every, every instance matters. So I think that's, if you call it a regret as much as we enjoyed our time, we, we didn't leave anything in the tank as far as players for Italy, but we just look back and think we, we were close. As you know, I guess you're close every time relegation and, and promotion is so close every game, as you've often mentioned to the world about run rates or whatever, who knows what it can come down to. But yeah, I guess if we could have just taken Italy, that little bit further, I don't know whether that ODI status like teams that I'm involved with now have was was probably maybe too far away. But at the end of the day, that's probably one thing you wish you probably went a little bit further. I wish we could have won more games just full stop because we just love playing for Italy. I think the people that went out there together. The exposure that you're now getting with Papua New Guinea, ODI status, something that Italy wasn't able to achieve, but now you're, you're getting an opportunity to take a different country to greater heights how did you get into the, the Papua New Guinea role I know you were very committed to coaching which I, I find quite remarkable and I have a lot of respect for because in the U.S. in particular coaching is something that active players don't really do they see it as something for old guys it's something that I'll I'll think about it sometime long after I've retired and yet you were very very engaged while you were still actively a player and that helped contribute to some of the opportunities you're getting right now as a coach so what was the coaching pathway for you like locally in Australia to get your resume built up to the point where you were a contender and then able to succeed in securing the job with Papua New Guinea. Yeah. And like we've sort of touched on earlier, my, as much as I was enjoying my cricket playing at a, a relatively high standard, I knew that that top level to be a professional for years and put food on the table probably wasn't an option at the time. It wasn't realistically something that could happen. I still, you know, did my best to do that, but if you can't make it that, and I still wanted to be involved and I think, you know, over my coaching research and, and just studies over the years, you find that a lot of people that nearly made it but didn't quite be able to make it can make turn into good coaches because they understand maybe the grind and, and and the journey you have to go on as a player, maybe a little bit more than the ones that are so good that they make it and spend so long at the top. So I guess I wanted to get involved early to try and set me up to have something to move on to as soon as that playing finished. And I mean, going on the associate tour, you see so many opportunities. You know, there's so many countries looking for for coaches that I always had that, I guess, as a as a goal or just something that I'd always be open to. So then, then coming back, sort of finished playing, I could have played longer, obviously, in in Melbourne and grade cricket, but I wanted to extend some experiences and get involved at coaching. Be that you know, I've been on the individual coaching train where you you know coach individually. Uh, private coaching, all that business, coaching women's for women's cricket for five, six seasons at a club and, you know, mentoring players and working closely with Annabelle Sutherland, who's uh, one of the you know biggest prospects coming through um, Australian women's cricket, director of cricket at private schools, you know, coaching at men's grade clubs in the, in the big bash WBBL 
it just, it really, you know, I wanted not just the depth of coaching, but the breadth of coaching experience as well. So not just coaching it in one uh, environment for a long time, but coaching, having different experiences, it could help me one day, I guess, get to a position like, you know, I'm in now, which for me is a, a dream role as such, because it's, you know, it's associate member cricket. It's cricket that matters every single day. And yeah, just knowing some contacts as we do, we get to meet people on these journeys. And yeah, that just led to, you know, this opportunity, which was just, you know, an amazing opportunity to be able to be afforded. How much of a factor has it been in your transition to coaching with the Papua New Guinea side in terms of being able to relate to the players, even though they're from a different culture, but just the fact that you were part of the associate cricket team yourself, how much has that influenced your ability to relate to the players and connect with them as you're starting to embark on this twin ODI slash 20 World Cup uh, touring experience in Oman? I respect the fact that everything matters. Um, I'm not coming here trying to work at all. Oh, this matters, does it? This counts. Our loss doesn't matter here or there. I understand that it's a tough journey and that, that I think the passion and energy, the, the passion is so high in associate cricket because we all know that, as I said, the sliding doors moments and everything counts. So I understand the, the high passion of the environment and respect the players for, for the roller coasters that they go through. I mean, they, I think you were there, might've been in one of those famous um, games you mentioned when the Paul won nine down a while back there in uh, Namibia. I think the same PNG made, kept their ODI status on the last day of the event there. And those sort of experiences I can relate to and understand that it's not, you know, you've got to keep yourself in the contest and you've got to manage to be up every day because we, we train for a long time as we do in associates. And then all of a sudden you've got a two week tour or a one week tour that matters. So you've got to be ready to click. And if it doesn't work, you've got to be ready to go again. So I think that's def- and definitely that, I guess, that empathy for players that are playing in such high stakes contests. And we're not like major leaguers that get to play 162 games a night and throw the bat at it. And if it worked, you're a rock star. If not, you come back and you get another X amount of chances. So, yeah, I just think it's just the fact that knowing that you're on their side and you know the struggles and the journey, the elation when it all, all um, goes well, just understanding that and them knowing that I'm from that background, I think helps them understand, oh, he understands, you know, he knows what we're about and how it's, you know, how we go about it. So I think that's been for me. And that gives me the confidence to want to really get into an associate member environment because I, I live for that sort of contest. What have you seen in your initial experiences that gives you the confidence that PNG may be able to get through the T20 World Cup opening round and get into the main draw? We're most definitely ready to shock the world, Peter, there after our first net session today and, and everyone was on the tools. I've been watching via the online games and all that, as unfortunately I've had to do in the pandemic times. But we've got these players have the skills to pay the bills, Peter. They're, they're electric when they get going. You know, like we've got variety, we've got everything. And I just think the, the part to put it all together at once is obviously the challenge. But that's the that's the cool part about it, and that's what we that's the part we're looking for the the secret sauce. So just finding those ways of how we can you know make sure that when the time comes, we're ready to win those sliding doors moments, uh, as you've mentioned. From where the squad was finishing as runner up to the Netherlands back in 2019 to where they are now, especially since your involvement, where do you think the team has most improved to give them the best shot at getting into the next phase? Maybe some time off's been good for them because they've had two years of it. So I think a chance to refresh and, and I guess maybe not be tired from the associate member circle and cricket that goes on. We, we come to this ODI, two of the bilaterals, the CWC and the World Cup as a fresh group. We're ready to go again. We've had breaks. Uh, so I think in that respect, it was hard to tell as far as what it's going to mean performance-wise and how you can make improvements in, in the pandemic era. And it's been tough on the players too because, you know, Joey Dawes, who I speak with daily about things still, you know, he had change of circumstances, which meant they've also had to go through a change of coach in this period. And given what we're, what I've learned they're like and what we're like as, as a group, we're very family and they take their people on. So for Joe to move on just because he, you know, he had some changes of family circumstances to come in and, and win or be in the playing group. And it was tough online, you know, to get in when you're a coach and you want to be on the tools with them. But 
look, I think the break and the fact that they're so raring to go, uh, that's going to help us over this next 10 weeks. USA, I know the squad has changed a lot since you last played USA. And, yeah. and even since some of the guys in the current squad have last played USA back in, in Florida in 2019, there's been a significant number of changes in the USA setup. How has your preparation been in terms of scouting them for the two matches you're, you're going to play against USA? And what do you think is going to be the key for you guys to come out on top against USA? Yeah, they've definitely changed. Makes scouting hard when you start planning for, or not planning, but you start thinking, oh, okay, we'll see how Holland's going and Stevenson and Organon, and you look at those, then you think, okay, they're not playing. Well, we'll look back to the other players. I mean, I don't know if Tim Roy's circumstance, but it, for a while there, it was like when I was playing, you didn't know whether he was going to play or whether he wasn't, what his circumstances were. And I was just keeping an eye out for him on the sheet to, to make sure he wasn't coming back again to play. But then Steve pops up all the time. Uh, somehow he keeps on keeping on. So, I mean, look, we've got systems in place where we can prepare and check out footage of players. The spinners they've got, you know, they've done well uh, from what I've seen, the two left armers. But again, it's, it's your networking too. You talk to people, I won't give away my sources, but I've got a few people that, that have come up against some of the players. And look, for us, we don't get too caught up in, in the actual opposition scouting too much like we keep that as coaches and have it prepared and if there's any information we think everyone needs to know we can pass it on to the captain specific uh role players but you know we just make sure we focus on it we've got our our plans and our game plans and we think that if we can execute those that it won't matter yeah we plan to to play a certain way and we think that'll keep us in a good spot favorite 11 time 11 questions rapid fire Cricket and non-cricket. Let's see what you got. All right, Carl, here we go. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour? Peter Petrocola. Mr. Not even close. Why him? <laughs> I think he might have been my only room. I was only allowed to room with him. We, we had strict rules if I was to play for Italy. I had to be rooming with him. This is tailored just for you. Your favorite restaurant on Ligon Street in, in Carlton in Melbourne? Tiamo. Again, not even close. Free publicity for them. I'm looking after them. Your favorite thing to do to pass the time on a long haul flight in and out of Australia to any touring destination? How do you how do you pass the time? I pass the time by sleeping. I I'm not a good flyer, Pete. So I put I make sure I fill myself with certain tablets that will make me fall asleep. And Peter Petricola will make sure at the other end he wakes me up and gets me off safely. Your favorite cricket ground anywhere in the world that you've been to either as a player or as a fan? SCG, Sheikh Zayed. You got to pick one. Come on. You can break the tie. Sheikh Zayed. Loved it there. Loved the experience there. Your favorite cricketer of all time? Goodness gracious. That's put right on the spot there. Steve Waugh was my idol. I loved him growing up. I was waiting for you to say yourself, you're eligible. Come on. Yeah. Close. I thought about it. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Oh, there's so many. There's soccer players, the divine ponytail. Um, I don't know. There's Cody Ballinger's my modern day, you know, my modern day great at the moment. You know, he's the one I'm checking on every day. I'll wake up seeing what he's hitting and a buck 50 is still not getting it done. But um, He's struggling, man. You, you might need to call him up and give him <laughs> some advice. <laughs> I know. I'm like, Mookie. Mookie Betts, Cody Ballinger. Your favorite place to eat out away from home on tour? I know you love your chains, but I'm going to get favorite place to eat on tour, Barasti. Where is that? In Dubai. Oh, in Dubai. That's bad from you, not knowing that. Nice little easy eatery in Dubai when you go there. Well, which, well, which part of Dubai? Is this in the marina or is it somewhere uh, else? It's down. No, nah, it's not on the, on the marina. It's down on the waterfront looking out to the palm. I think I know where I'm, you're going to go with this. Are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? considering who you played with over the course of your career. <laughs> oh, we'll go Pepsi. No, I don't do sugar. I'm like Ronaldo, water. Your favorite pizza topping. And this is not an Italian question. I ask this for everybody on the show. Your favorite pizza topping. Yeah, that's, I was going to say, it's stereotyping. Oh, the margarita, like a proper, an authentic margarita, hands down. You are a proud member of the Kevin McAllister Home Alone Club. Cheese pizza, <laughs> margarita all the way. I love it. I'm a, I'm a card-carrying member myself. <laughs> Thank you. Favorite movie of all time? I'm not a big movie person. No, I'm not a good movie. I've watched The Hangover the last couple of nights. Is that, does that count as 
It is a movie. movie. I don't know. It counts. Yeah, it's not my favorite. I don't do. I'm not. A, I wouldn't say I have a favorite movie. Sorry, I know that's not helping you. You're a fast eleven, but we'll, we'll go with the Hangover. It will. It'll be acceptable. Last question: your your favorite show to binge watch when you're stuck in oh. quarantine or stuck somewhere else? Yeah, without it being uh, a Ted Lasso, I'm into at the moment. Uh, what loving that. Like if I'm just putting it on though, I'm still going for Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Seinfeld. That that gets thrown on when I need to relax. If I don't need to watch something, they're the two that go on. But then, you know, you've got your all your serious ones like Ozarks and all those types of things that come out. But yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine going on anytime I need to just have it on in the background. That's on Peralta just, and the boys. You, you veered off the stereotype path. I was waiting for you to say The Sopranos. <laughs> yeah, that was there. a long time ago. I did enjoy that. Carl Sandry's favorite 11. Thank you so much, Carl, for coming on the show. I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to say about cricket in your life, the current experiences you're having with PNG, or anything else that you want people to know about you? Keep an eye on PNG. We're ready to shock the world. Back the barrows, Pete. My thanks once again to Carl Sandry, the head coach of Papua New Guinea, for taking time out of his busy schedule from Muscat Oman, where the team is preparing for four bilateral ODIs against USA and Nepal, coming up from September 6th to the 10th, before Papua New Guinea goes on to play four matches in a Cricket World Cup League 2 tri-series against Scotland and Oman later in September and early October. And then following on from that, they will be taking part in their very first ICC Men's T20 World Cup and we wish Carl Sandry and the rest of the Papua New Guinea squad the best of luck in that competition. A reminder to everybody, subscribe on Patreon to support the podcast and keep it running from week to week. For as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the podcast running. So I appreciate everybody who has done so. And I also reminded everybody to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. You can also subscribe to the podcast in audio format on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Spotify, and plenty of other audio streaming and download platforms. That's it for this week's episode. I'm Peter Dalpenner reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket.